Once upon a time, there was a man who lived with his wife, two small children, and his elderly parents in a tiny little hut. He tried to be patient, he tried to be gracious, he tried to put up with it all in a good spirit, but the noise and the crowded conditions in that hut wore him down. In desperation, he consulted the village wise man. Do you have a rooster? asked the wise man. Yes, he replied. Well, keep the rooster in the hut with your family and come see me again next week. The next week the man returned and told the wise elder that living conditions were worse than ever. The rooster crowing and making a mess of the hut along with all of the other commotion there. Do you have a cow? asked the wise man. The man fearfully replied, yes, I have a cow. Take the cow into your hut and come back and talk to me in another week. Over the next several weeks, the man, on the advice of the elder, made room for a goat, two dogs, and all of his brother's kids in the house. Finally, he could take it no more. And in a fit of anger, he kicked them all out of the house leaving only his wife, his children, and his parents. And the home suddenly became spacious and quiet, and everyone lived happily ever after. It's a bit like hitting your head against the wall, because when you stop, it feels so good. But we don't know how good we have it until we don't have it anymore. Contentment, theme of Ecclesiastes. Contentment comes when we learn to appreciate what we have instead of wishing for what we don't have. Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, as we continue our study. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 through 20, teaches us that living the good life requires an attitude of gratitude. Now, Ecclesiastes is all about how to live the good life. Interestingly enough, my daughter Carrie, off at college, gave me a call yesterday because she has a philosophy course, and her first assignment was to write a paper on the book of Ecclesiastes. Dad, what's this book all about? (laughs) It's all about the good life. But the good life is not based on what is out there. It's based upon what is in here. The good life is not founded on what we have, but how we think. Contentment is an attitude that we bring to our circumstances, not happiness that comes from our circumstances. So, do you want to live the good life? Start by appreciating the life God has already given you. Let your attitude control your circumstances. 
Let's see how Solomon develops that principle in verses 18 to 20 of Ecclesiastes 5. Now, if you remember back to my explanation of the whole flow and argument of Ecclesiastes, these verses are sort of like a a chorus in a song, if you will. They're repeated, phrased slightly differently, but repeated multiple times all the way through the book of Ecclesiastes, this theme. So it's like the chorus in a song that we repeat and we sing over again. And in verses 18 through 20, we have once again the chorus to this song. And the first principle is that that Solomon wants us to find joy in being productive for as long as we live. Verse 18 of Ecclesiastes 5. Here is what I have seen. Now remember, Solomon has been examining all of life. He's been observing and trying out and testing all of the aspects of life. And he says, here's what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat to drink and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Now the topic is work. And let's face it, work is one topic we all love to hate. Who wants to work? We're taught that in our culture, we're taught that leisure is the joy of life. And that retirement, you know, that thing we're all looking for, retirement is all about the life of leisure. That's our cultural perspective. And God tells us that thinking is all 100% wrong. Let's, uh, let's take a look. Work has value. Being productive is the key to the good life. Let me unpack this verse for just a little bit this morning because the principle here is really important. It's really practical for our lives. The Hebrew word translated fitting, he said is good and fitting. The Hebrew word means that which corresponds to our expectations in life. It's what we really expect when we think about the good life. The word can even mean beautiful. So what is fitting? What is beautiful? What is what we really expect to get out of life? It is fitting, he says, it is beautiful for us to eat and to drink. Now, that's his expression throughout Ecclesiastes for sort of the normal activities of life. Everybody eats and drinks. I mean, that's just life. It is appropriate, it is fitting for each of us to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in our work. The word for find satisfaction, the Hebrew term, or to enjoy oneself, means to see something good in our work. To see something pleasant in our labors. And the word for labor means not easy stuff. It is hard work. It even means misery. It even means tough stuff. means trouble. So he's not giving us sort of little panacea here. He's saying it is fitting for us to see the good in the hard work of life. We are to see something good or pleasing in the great effort that we put into our work. And then he says, hey, God only gives us a few short years on this earth. 
and satisfaction in our work is God's reward to us for following him in life. The word translated reward means lot or assigned portion in life. So God gives us a few years to live on this earth and he assigns us our portion in life and that portion is to find satisfaction in our labors. Now, our culture teaches us that we work hard at the job for 40 years and then we retire. Our goal is retirement from work and living the life of leisure. The goal is getting done with work so we can have fun and play games. So our culture teaches us in a hundred different ways that work is bad. Something we have to endure to get to the good life. Now the sad thing is that many people arrive at that point, at that age, when the good life is supposed to begin, to find it isn't so good anymore. Getting old is not all it's cracked up to be. We need to rethink the whole concept of work. To have a biblical concept. Think of work as productivity. That's why I use the term here. Work is being productive. Now, many hours each week for most of us are spent being productive on the job and we get paid for being productive. That gives a sense of purpose to our lives and it is valuable. It is important. But productivity doesn't stop just on the job. We work at home. We work in church. We work in ministries. We work We work at hobbies. We just don't call it work. (laughs) But it is. It's being productive. Work is simply being productive at something. So, we need to be productive then all of our lives. Because when we stop being productive, in a very real sense, we stop living. And it is this loss of productivity that depresses us as we grow older and and makes retirement life sometimes the pits. I remember when my grandfather retired from years of working in the docks in Manhattan, New York City. All his life he had gotten up early. He'd come home, took a train all the way in from Long Island into the, the docks, the shipyards in, in Manhattan early in the morning before it was even light. Took the train all the way back out. He'd get home at 7 o'clock at night repeating that process over and over again. He retires. And what happens? He has nothing. He didn't know what to do. And something starts, it started to die inside of him. Because it did give purpose. It did give function. It did give value to his life, even though it was hard and long. Now, I've been thinking a lot about retirement lately. Hmm. When you get to be in your upper 50s, you can't help but think about retirement in our culture. You get those AARP things in the mail once a month, you know? 
And they start telling you all the things that you ought to do and all the things you ought to be doing to get ready for this very important thing in life called retirement. And you start getting ads on the greatness of retirement. And all these retirement communities start sending you stuff. You can't help but think about it. Well, retiring from a job is one thing. We all reach that point at some point in our lives. But retiring from productivity, that's quite another. We should never, ever retire from being productive in life, from working at something, Solomon tells us. Because God made us to be productive. Now, I mean, certainly health issues and all those things change our productivity. But if we retire from being productive in life, then we are killing ourselves. Paul Tornier, in his book, Learn to Grow Old, isn't that a great title, says there are two great turning points in life, the passage from childhood to adulthood and that from adulthood to old age. Howard Hendricks, in his article, Rethinking Retirement, writes, The danger is very real that we will die before we are buried. Now, think about that for a minute. I sort of hope that I do die before I'm buried. I really don't want to be buried alive. But that's really not his point. (laughs) He argues that we need to get, get rid of this whole idea of retirement because it's destructive to life. And am I echoing a little bit? Sounds like it up here to me, um, Nate. So we live our lives, for the most part, in a very competitive world. And then suddenly, you know, we're too old to play the competitive game anymore. And and we're sort of put on a shelf and discarded. And so we struggle with boredom and a loss of purpose in life. And that's really not how God designed life to be lived. It wasn't how they lived it in the days of Israel. God designed life to be lived productively. And God's reward is to find satisfaction in our work. Now, our work changes, certainly at retirement. But that is simply God's way of releasing us from those daily demands that others put upon us to pursue His calling in new ways, to be productive in new forms. Howard Hendricks tells about visiting an Israeli kibbutz near the Sea of Galilee, this community of people. And he toured a small electronics factory where parts were assembled for various mechanical devices. Each male adult in the community had a workstation in that factory regardless of age. It didn't matter how old you were, you had a workstation with your name on it. Now, of course, in Israel, in that kibbutz, it's a a male-oriented, so it was the males, but you can apply it to all of us here, but in their culture, it was the males. As a person grew older in the kibbutz, in this community, they decided how many hours a week they wanted to work at their workstation. That was totally up to them. But everyone had to show up every day to work at their workstation, whatever they felt like working at that workstation, unless they were sick or something. But 
they were expected to be at their workstation contributing to the community. You know, that's a concept we need to get a hold of because it's a key to the good life. Find ways to be productive. And in that community, they were made to feel a part of being, of producing something of value to the whole community. And in our culture, we have become so fragmented and families are so split apart and and all of that sort of thing that we have lost this concept of community where people contribute to the value of life until the day that God takes them home. The church, missions, are perfect ways to be productive when we retire from our careers because idleness and leisure will kill you before you die. I mean, maybe even a hobby can become ways to be productive, but still contribute to others and to the community and find value in that productivity. All right, second principle this morning. Appreciate life as a gift from God. Verse 19. Furthermore, he says, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. So our money, our possessions, the ability to enjoy those benefits the capacity to be satisfied with our portion in life, to be happy in our work, these are all, he says, a gift from God. It's God's gift to us. Now, notice that each of the portions in life are not the same, are they? We do not all receive from the hand of God the same portion. Some are given more money. Some have more possessions. To be content with the portion that God gives to me is a gift from God. When we learn to be satisfied with God's portion, God's assigned portion, lot, reward for our lives, and not compare our portions with the portions of others, then we have learned the secret to living the good life. The problem we most often face is that we look around and we complain, don't we? That God gave others more than he gave to us. That God gave this person this portion, and boy, I'd like to have that portion in life, but man, God threw some curves at me, and I'm over here, and I wish I was over there. And so we begin to get into that complaining mode. And of course, the result is discontentment, isn't it? An unthankful spirit with what God has given to me or to you. When Arden Taylor's granddaughter was four years old, she came to the table one day in a very disgruntled mood. She complained loudly about every dish on the table that mom had prepared for dinner. She didn't like any of it. 
Hoping to change the mood, her mother suggested that she give the blessing, that she pray and thank God for the food. I used to do that with our kids whenever they complained. Well, why don't you pray then, you know? After a sullen pause, she prayed, Okay, God, I forgive you for this food. Amen. I forgive you for this food. Isn't that the way so often that we sit at God's table of life? We survey the food that God has laid out for for us, and we decide that God hasn't blessed us like he blessed somebody else. He hasn't given us exactly the meal that we wanted. It isn't a cafeteria after all. But we have to give thanks, so we pray. We're not quite as honest as that four-year-old. We mask our ingratitude with pious phrases. But the reality is that we're willing to forgive God for what he's given to us. What he didn't do for us. Instead of thanking God for what he has given to us. And it makes all the difference in the world. I'm sure you've heard this saying, life is like a box of chocolates. Have you ever received, you know, one of those boxes of chocolates, those assorted chocolates, and there's, there's no listing for what's in there and what's what, right? So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a guessing game to pick your chocolate, right? So you reach into the box of chocolates and you, you know, you're hoping for that Lindor hazelnut truffle or the almond praline and what you get is carrot cake <laughs> or coconut lime and you can't put it back. You know, you touched it, you bit into it <laughs> and Brian would put it back. <laughs> I'm not eating chocolates with Brian. Once you touch it, you got it. Once you bite it, you got to eat it. Well, maybe you throw it away, I don't know. You have to take what you get. Life is a lot like that, isn't it? We need to learn to be content with what God gives to us. We have to take what we get and find satisfaction in our portion in life. That's the key, he says, to living the good life. If I'm always coveting the double fudge passion that my wife picked out, I'm not even going to enjoy the chocolate covered cherry that I have. All right. Enough of that. My taste buds are already gone. Hmm. I got to talk here. All right. Gratitude. Gratitude is the key to the good life. And when we can take what God gives to us and enjoy it while still being happy for what God gives to someone else and rejoicing with them that they can enjoy what God gives to them, then we've learned the secret to the good life. It's a secret that many struggle to learn in life. We all do, don't we? Last fall, Stan Farmer wrote some important words I thought were very applicable to this in his update from His Mansion Ministries. 
He wrote, During my years of ministry, I've noted that thankful people are usually healthier folks. This is especially important in the recovery of addicts. By the way, if you don't know what his mansion is all about, it's a ministry we support here. In fact, we're going to have uh, uh, what's it, Dr. Michael Shu here um, in a few weeks uh, preaching and presenting the ministry of his mansion. And I'd, I'd heard Marty. Is Marty coming back with him to share his testimony? For the weekend? Great. What's that? Wonderful. So we'll hear from Marty as well. I think it's the 20th, isn't it? Yeah. But his mansion ministry is a ministry that works with those who have struggled with substance abuse in their lives and young adults and who go there to get help. And he says, during my years of ministry, I've noted that thankful people are usually healthier folks. This is especially important in the recovery of addicts. Most men and women entering his mansion's one-year program have led a life of me. They've been nurtured in a culture of dissatisfaction, disenchantment, and disappointment. They've been told they deserve more, entitled to more programs, more education, and more happiness. The addicted are sad, lonely, and hopeless. They welcome any relief from their pain and depression. One of the most difficult habits to kick is moaning, groaning, and grumbling. The cure for depression and dissatisfaction is thanksgiving. The method they use, one of the methods they use in dealing with young men and women who are struggling with an addicted lifestyle. That's powerful. That is exactly the message that Solomon is teaching us in this verse. Learn to appreciate life as a gift from God every day and be content with your portion and you will live a healthier life. Don't get caught up in the discontentment of comparison and the pity party of meism. As you go right down the tubes. You and I will never find the good life by thinking that it's all about me. We will only find the good life in thanking God for his goodness to us. Third principle this morning from verse 20. Develop the habit of happiness to ease the passing of time. Verse 20 here in Ecclesiastes 5. For, because he will not often, this man who is rejoicing and thankful to God for his life, he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. One company held an inter-office softball game every year between the marketing department and the support staff in the company. And this annual event was a big deal. And one year the support staff whipped the marketing department soundly in the softball game. But the marketing department demonstrated how they earned their keep by posting this memo on the bulletin board after the game. The marketing department is pleased to announce that we came in second place in the recent softball season after losing but one game all year. The support department, however, had a rather dismal season, winning only one game all year. (laughs) Perspective changes everything, does it not? We can choose to brood over the years that are passing us by. 
or we can be busy with the gladness of our hearts each day and every day of our lives. And what a difference that perspective makes. The perspective we bring to life makes a huge difference in our experiences. And Solomon tells us that the man who is filled, or woman for that matter, but the person who is filled with thankfulness will not spend much time remembering all the days that are passing by. Those days will be flying by for this person because of one simple reason. God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. The word translated occupied can mean, uh, can, can mean that God answers us with the joys of our hearts. That's the way the King James, if you have a King James, that's the way they translate it. But it probably means more that we are preoccupied with happiness. <clears throat> we are so busy thinking about what we are doing now with, with gladness that we don't have time to be recalling all the time, remembering all the time that is passing by. So we are filled with gladness each and every day as we look ahead to see what God is doing through us. And the word for gladness or joy means pleasure, means enjoying things. It's, It's a pleasant concept. It is a state of happiness is literally what the word means. Have you ever noticed that when you are busy doing something you like and you enjoy, that time goes by very quickly, right? And it doesn't feel like work, even though you may be working very hard at it. But when you're doing something that you hate or you're on the job and the time is dragging by and you're waiting for quitting time, how slow time seems to move. That's this concept here. When we are busy doing things we like, we're happy, we're productive, we feel good about doing these things, we may work very, very hard, but time is flying by. We're not thinking about it all the time. The difference is our attitude, our perspective. We can choose joy. Happiness is a choice we make each and every day of our lives. One writer put it this way, The grand essentials of happiness are something to do, something to love, and something to hope for. You say, well, Dave, I don't have those somethings. Wow. Then find them. Find them. Happiness is a habit we develop by finding these ingredients to the good life. Now, it changes over time, doesn't it? We need to adapt to those changes, that God, those curves God throws at us, health, changes in job and place and all of that. But the habit of happiness and developing the habit of happiness is the habit of finding in life something to do, something to love, and something to hope for. We need something to do. Obviously, our lives are governed by our careers for many years. That gives us something to do. But for many, the job is not very fulfilling, and it will end one day. So find other hobbies, interests, ministries that will give you things to do throughout your life. And the best kind of th- kinds of things to do are the ones that have eternal value, that you're investing in eternity. 
We need something to love. I'd rather say we need someone to love. (laughs) It would be better, I think. We all need healthy relationships, and the healthiest people are those who continually rebuild those kinds of relationships with new people as life changes. Negative people tend to have trouble building long-term relationships. These relationships are very important to developing the habit of happiness, and we need something to hope for in life. We need something to hope for. We, hope is very important to well-being in life. The good life cannot be lived without hope. But as Christians, we are given a hope that transcends this world. So we have an eternal hope. And by focusing on eternal things, we are focusing on hope, always. And that's why it's so important for Christians to build into their lives ministry for Christ as a habit. Because that kind of ministry to other people breeds hope as we invest in something that has eternal value each week. And that will keep us focused on hope. See, you each need to find ways to serve Christ. It might be in church, it might be in community, it might be in your family, but you find ways to serve because serving Him and serving others helps us focus on the hope we have forever in Christ. Howard Hendricks, in his article on retirement, argues that we need to develop these kinds of habits, these kinds of things early in life if we want to do well in retirement. You can't just suddenly do it. It becomes the habit of your life as you develop those things early. One of the problems with growing older, of course, is that our health limits us. We fall into idleness. We fall into passivity. Hendricks argues that these will kill our retirement years. The principle here in this verse is that God keeps us preoccupied with the gladness of our hearts so we don't notice the passing of time and the things we don't have in our lives. We need to develop early in life the habit of happiness by adapting our lives so that we have things to do. We have people to love and things to hope for throughout life. Hendricks tells about his friend Jim, who returned from military service in the South Pacific with very severe physical limitations in life as a result of his military service. A lot of pain, a lot of limitation. And we all know that health problems can severely limit people's choices in life. But Jim didn't let those limitations stop him from developing new activities. He started his own business, an airplane parts business. He worked to keep his health stable. The business was very successful. But Jim knew that one day it would end too, so he became actively involved in his local church. He used his business connections to develop a ministry with younger men, teaching money management, teaching discipleship principles and helping them grow spiritually. Eventually, of course, he sold his business, retired from his company, and he turned his church ministry into a long-term ministry at retirement, and he served for many years. He served Dallas Theological Seminary, where Howard Hendricks was a professor for many years, using his business expertise and all of his background to help that ministry thrive. And he found great fulfillment, gladness, in serving the Lord. There are so many ways 
we can transition like this in life. In fact, all of life is a transitioning process, isn't it? We're adapting to the curves that God throws at us all through life. And so we're developing this habit of happiness as we adapt to all of those things. Obviously, health issues affect us, but we can adapt. My dad is 80 years of age. Just talked with him this last week, down in North Carolina, but he's in regular contact with the ministry of New England Bible College and the president there, using his experience and background and contributing to a ministry. He's still being productive. And we were setting up his office when I was down there. And I've been encouraging him to write and do things that, that are valuable for all of us to learn. He can still be productive and is still being productive into his 80s, even with serious health limitations. That's a principle we need to have. Skip Willis, he's not here this morning, so I can talk about him without embarrassing him, right? <laughs> Gloria, don't embarrass him, all right? But, I mean, Skip has been an incredible testimony for all of us. Here's a man who, at the apex of his career, right, had to get done because of disability. Done his career. And yet he has reinvested his whole life. I dare say in lots of people here have been touched by Skip and his ministries. So this church certainly has. Camp Berea certainly has. As he found ways to reinvest himself constantly over and over again. I visited him last night and he's talking about the stuff that he wants to do for the Lord in ministry here and other things and how, all of those kinds of things. And he's, he's in great spirits. That's the habit of happiness that then adjusts to the changes. In this case, an accident carries on being productive for the Lord. Develop it early in life. I want to learn the lessons that Skip demonstrates to me or my dad demonstrates to me and learn earlier now how to live productively and build a great life for the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can God fill your life with gladness? For each of us it's different. We're all at different stages of life in different settings, have different issues and situations, right? But how can God fill your life with gladness so that you are preoccupied with his work instead of dwelling constantly on the passing of time in your life. There are many ways to use our gifts for him. Start developing those gifts now in church or other ministries and family and the years begin to fly by. Things change, yes. Energy level diminishes, yes. I learned that a long time ago playing basketball with a bunch of young guys at the police gym in Portland, and I came home with broken glasses and all banged up, and I said, I can't keep up with them anymore. <laughs> it changes, right? Health issues affect us, but an ability to adapt is the habit of happiness. Howard Hendricks, again in that article, points out that mountain drivers often encounter the sign, steep grade ahead, use low gear. And he says, that's what you do in life. 
because you reach that steep grade. You slow down. You use low gear, but you keep on going for the Lord Jesus Christ. Aging and health have a way of slowing us down. Our energy diminishes, but we can shift into low gear and keep on for the Lord and be productive. And that is living the good life with an attitude of gratitude. So how can God use you? What were you good at doing? What are you good at doing? Maybe your career's slipping, but your gifts, talents can be transferred into other ministries. Maybe you're just so busy right now you can't think about that. (laughs) That happens too. You need to, though, because the years pass by quickly. If you haven't thought about serving the Lord, you'll not be prepared. Ministry for the Lord means that we never, ever retire. We always have something to do. God wants us to be preoccupied with the gladness of our hearts as we serve him until we die. Wilson Bentley grew up on a farm in Jericho, Vermont. As a young boy, he developed a fascination with snowflakes. Tired of snow? Wilson Bentley was never, ever tired of snow. He would run outside during a snowstorm to catch the flakes as they were falling on black velvet, look at them under a microscope, and take pictures of them. His first photomicrograph of a snowflake was taken on January 15, 1885. The first known photographer of snowflakes. He pursued his passion for more than 50 years. He amassed a collection of 5,381 photographs that was published in his magnum opus titled Snow Crystals. Each one, of course, is different, absolutely. They are incredibly beautiful when you look at them that way. And not have to shovel it, I suppose. (laughs) And then he died a very fitting death, walking in a snowstorm six miles. He contracted pneumonia and died on December 23, 1931. You know what? That's how I want to die. I don't mean in a snowstorm. And not studying snowflakes either. I don't like them that much. (laughs) But I want to die doing something I love. I don't want it to be snowflakes. I want it to be of eternal value. Something that lasts forever in the Lord's work. That kind of investment. But I want to die doing something I love. Wouldn't that be great? To continue in life doing things we love that have eternal value and so filled with the gladness of what we're doing that we don't even notice the passing of time. Now that's the good life. Father, fill our lives with thankfulness, I pray. Help us to praise you, to worship you with our lives, not just in church, to fill our lives with gladness that you give to us, a gladness that preoccupies us 
and a productivity that is valuable for eternity. Help us to adapt day by day to the curves you throw in our lives, throw at our lives, and so learn the habit of happiness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.